0: You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Welcome back to the Seattle Real Estate Podcast, my friends. What are we talking about today? Since the whole George Floyd thing went down and yesterday we had the verdict, guilty, guilty, guilty on all three counts, right? And obviously there will be an appeal. But Derek Chauvin's gone into, uh, I think it was secured lockup to keep him out of the... Uh, the main congregation, not a good time for a cop to be in jail, especially in his position. Oof. Do not envy that man. Very, very difficult. But since the since the George Floyd death, police departments across the United States, they've been making some changes. Seattle is one of them. We're going to read through what are the changes? What are the things? And a lot of this has to do with basically the, the peaceful protesting slash rioting that's happened how can the police kind of make the First Amendment thing work along with keeping the peace, keeping the businesses safe, keep the citizens safe, keep the protesters safe, however that looks. That's what we're going to get into today. Uh, Seattle Police Department details the changes since George Floyd's death. That's what we're talking about. If you're new here, thanks for joining. My name is Sean Reynolds. I own a couple of real estate companies. I talk about this kind of stuff because this impacts everybody. Everybody lives in real estate. All right, let's get into it. And this is a My Northwest article. So moments after a judge read the jury's verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, the Seattle Police Department released a statement listing the changes it's made in the past year. The verdict came out yesterday. I'm reading this the day after. So we're, we're all kind of in this, okay, here's what we're doing moving forward. And uh, I know a lot of people were bracing. If there was one not guilty out of those three, oof, it was not going to be good. I know a lot of people wanted to see uh, first degree murder, but that wasn't even on the plate. So uh, I know we had a little bit of protesting, but not a ton of, I mean, some protesting, but it wasn't um, it wasn't huge like it was a year ago. Um, well, actually, we're in April. And May was when the George Floyd thing happened. so May, June was kind of the peak of of things last year. So things have kind of settled down, maybe not in Portland, uh maybe not in Minneapolis, but here in Seattle we've had a we've had some protesting, but not certainly not to the degrees and levels that we had before. So here's what here's where we are with the police. The Seattle Police Department described Floyd's murder as a watershed moment for America stating that real change has sprung from that pain and noting that the community's expectations of uh, policing have been made clear. Seattle Police Department statement in part. This is kind of a summary of it. The Seattle Police Department already is making changes to move towards a more equitable model of public safety. We have banned neck restraints, chokeholds, and no-knock warrants. The Seattle Police Department also requires department wide implicit, implicit bias and active bystandership training to empower officers to recognize and intervene when a colleague is doing wrong. Okay. Other more recent modifications since George Floyd's murder include reducing the Seattle Police Department's visible footprint around crowd events to avoid escalation that may result from a Seattle Police Department presence. This is the stuff that I'm going to talk on because I've had more uh, interaction with that because I covered a lot of the protests last year and I was physically there in the midst of them. And there were a handful of protests. There was one particular protest towards the end that I do remember right before CHOP kind of got shut down. And it went on for hours and I remember recording it and I was there, I was live streaming and I had people say, your recording was boring. You, you didn't really show anything. And it was because it was actually, for all, you know, for the most part, it it was peaceful. It was one of the few that I went to that was peaceful. There were still arrests. And there were still people, the protesters that got into it with the police, but it was more of a, a one on, you know, the one versus the police department, somebody just you know, really acting out and the police would haul that guy away. And, and the crowd didn't go crazy, because I think the the crowd at that point in time, they'd kind of been protested out. I mean, the the, the amount of energy that the protesters put into last year, that was uh, that was significant, shall we say. So to have a to so to reduce the visible footprint, I remember looking around at one of the protest this protest I'm talking about. And I remember thinking, there are no cops here. The police station was like a block up the road. This was at CHOP. The police station was a block up the road. So you knew the cops were right there. There was cameras around. People knew kind of what was going on. And um, when people started to get out, the police would come. But then they would also back off. And I think just having the police presence there Um, Have it be known that they're there, but not like super right there is what we're doing here. We're reducing the visible footprint around crowd events. Now, the minute that goes sideways is when windows start to get bashed in. That's when you want the cops there. So it's that fine line of when these protests go from peaceful to not so peaceful. And what we're trying to do is avoid escalation that might result from the Seattle Police Department presence. Now, the only reason I can think there's typically escalation is when people want to do stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Because if they are holding signs and saying some chants, the police aren't going to do anything. Are the police agitating towards those people? Yeah, probably. That's just how this game goes, right? Um, So they don't want the police there. But everybody else in the area is like, yeah, we want the police here. So it's that fine line between having cops and not upsetting the protesters. I think right now the protesters are, they are, they're being listened to more than the police are as far as the police saying, hey, we can do this, this and this. But when we do, here, here's what happens. So we're on kind of one of those downswings of Um, you know, what the police can do, obviously, because we've got, you know, banned neck restraints, chokeholds, and no knock warrants. I do not pretend to be an expert in any one of those things. I have I hear opinions, hey, without those things, we can't really control people from the police uh, perspective. And then from the other side, it's looking for a more equitable model of public safety. Hey, those things should be banned no matter what. I don't know what the correct move is there. I have no idea. I'm not in law enforcement, nor do I pretend to be. So I'm going to just talk about the stuff that I do know, and that's being at a protest and the visible footprint thing. Um, Okay, we'll see how that goes. You know what I mean? Don't know. Clarification of the rights, roles, and identification of volunteer medics, media, and legal observers. Now, these are gray areas because our... Friends that are all dressed in black, they do have volunteer medics. They actually have secondhand used ambulances that are not painted up as ambulances, but you know when it's an ambulance, right? And they usually have, you know, kind of that medic sign, uh, the red plus, the red cross on it. Um, and you kind of know, but you know that they're not, they're not a uh, governmental agency, you know that they're volunteers, So you've got the volunteer medics, you've got the media, I kind of fall into that category, a dude with a GoPro, right. But in my mind, I know I am there just to observe for my own podcast, give that information out to you guys. Um, is that media? I don't have the press pass. So many guys there write press. They they wear a vest that says press. And you know darn well they're not press. They're they're doing the same thing I am. They're showing up with a camera. Press to me is when you are associated press or you know, you're one of the major medias that, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS. But media now is just so expanded that we're, you know, they're kind of clarifying. What's going on? Who gets what definition? And it's a very, it's a difficult criteria to meet. I'm press, but that doesn't give me any rights to. Um, when the police say clear out the area, I don't care if I consider myself press or not. I'm gonna clear out because that's what the cops are saying to do. When they tell me to leave an area. I'm going to do that and I will I will typically kind of get behind the line of the police. That's the side I want to be on. Sorry folks, that's you know back the blue. That's kind of where I sit. You know, um don't back everything that the police do cuz sometimes things go do go sideways, but think it through. When something bad happens to you, who do you call? 911. Who are they going to send? The police, right? I mean, that's what should technically happen. We're seeing that not happen in a lot of instances right now because the police are spread thin, they've been defunded, and um, that's how that story goes. So we're just going to have to live with a lot of this stuff. So we got the volunteer medics, that's being that their role is being clarified. And to me, it's like, okay, you volunteered, and you are blocking off access to the real medics, but you're a volunteer medic. How does this work? I'm a, I am call myself, you know, a fake media, because let's be honest, I'm a, I'm a GoPro guy that, you know, has a YouTube channel, and I get podcasts are sent out and stuff. But am I really media? I mean, yes and no, right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And so a lot of these people that, you know, write media across their chest, and then they get arrested. It's like, okay, yeah, you're media, and you're covering this. But you still got to live by the law. When the police over the microphone, we will need you to clear the area. We will need you to clear the area. You know, they do that about 100 times. You get really tired of hearing it over the PA system. You really know where you should be. We need you to clear out of the area. Please move to the West. Please move to the West. You've got instructions of what to do. And so, if you are a media guy, and they've told you a hundred times, get out, and you don't get out, and you get arrested, I mean, that's your problem. That's your problem. Uh, and so many of the protesters go on to say, oh, "He was media, and you know, you're 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 crunching down on our First Amendment rights." Now, nah, the cops had to control the area. You guys were throwing Kansas soup at the cops that's illegal. That's why they it was a riot, you guys cleared it out. Now I've been in areas where I've been told to leave. Yep, have. Yep. Down in Portland, little tear gassing. I mean, that's just kind of how that goes. And if you get tear gassed, that's your problem. If you're in an area that you've been told to clear out, because of this, this and this, which are typically always recorded, the cops aren't going to just shut down a protest willy nilly. That's, I, I haven't seen that. Maybe that does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But for the most part, when the police clear out an area, it's because a number of things happened, they've got it on video. And yet everybody wants to get all up and work all worked up that their First Amendment rights are being violated. Nah, it's because of that can of soup you through. Or that, that water bottle, that innocent water bottle, yeah, that was frozen, take a frozen water bottle to the head, mm, not good, that's stitches. All right, and legal observers, I am a legal observer, I have the right to be here. Well, not if the cops tell you to get out. That's kind of the way I see it. If you can't figure out what where you should be or where you shouldn't be, maybe you should error on error on the side of being reasonable and leave. That's kind of what I do. Or get get to a position where you are not right in the midst of the confrontation. Because stuff can go down. I remember seeing um, Oh, man, it was probably in the middle. No, it was a video that I saw it was a video that I saw on one of our, um, our media channels here that Falls a little bit more to the left side of things, uh, converge media, but literally the protesters had a person in a wheelchair, you know, out in the street and the police were kind of clearing the area. It's like, okay, you're just throwing that person in the wheelchair there. And it's not like this is a surprise thing. This area has got to be cleared out. You know, you're just trying to make it difficult for the cops. And I get that. But then don't claim that, oh, this person was wronged. The police ran roughshod over a person in a wheelchair. Don't do that. Call it what it is. You were protesting. You knew that person. You put that person there on purpose. You're using them to your advantage. You know, we all know the games that are being played here. Um, Because if people were abiding by the law, the cops wouldn't be clearing out the area. That's the bottom line, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's how I see it when I stand there and go, all right, I'm a middle-aged white dude in his early 50s, and um, this is what I see. This is what I see. And and that's basically what I'm talking about here. So a more robust statement of purpose that embraces Seattle approach to facilitating public assembly Over and beyond what would be required under a strict First Amendment analysis. All right, so it's going to be broken down a little bit more, um, a statement of purpose. So they're they're just going to be kind of identifying, hey, uh, the facilitation of public assembly. Because so many of these things, they fall under public assembly at first and then it's basically just cover for some some street violence, some graffiti and violence, breaking of windows, just general mayhem. All right, so we're trying to identify, you know, that a little bit more. I I, I agree. I don't think we've had the kind of protests ongoing. Have we ever had this level of protest ongoing in Seattle? I don't know. Maybe back during the. Um, Oh, 1999, what were they protesting? There's been so many protests. I can't remember what it was. I'll think of it. Uh, it was the major one. Um, it had to do with economics. Emphasizing de-escalation and force modulation response to changes in crowd behavior following an order to disperse. Um, so we're talking about different ways to handle the crowd behavior following an order to disperse. I have a tough time with that because it's like, it's like uh, hurting kindergartners. You know what I mean? Kindergartners who don't want to take a nap. Hey, you got to take a nap. We got to put you in your bed. You got to take a nap. I don't want to take a nap. And then they're going to throw a little tantrum. I don't want to take a nap. You know, you do that 20 times and that's the police over the loudspeaker. You need to disperse. (laughs) And then, um, and so... Now we're, you know, we're, we're told, okay, you got to deescalate this, you can't just go in and bang some heads like everybody thinks, thinks happens. They don't, they just the people who really act out, they pick those people, and they subdue them and arrest them. Because they're breaking the law, they say that they're peacefully protesting, but the cops just aren't going to grab people out of the crowd. They're just not from what I've seen, they're just they're not doing that. You know what I mean? And you can see video after video after video of the cops just kind of standing straight and um, just standing there. They're providing their presence and the peaceful protesters slash violent rioters doing their thing, whatever that is, getting their message out, whatever that may be. To me, it, it, it hasn't seemed cohesive for the last year you know it started off as a you know it started off as a i don't even know how it it, if this whole thing has been so convoluted that you don't really know where the protests start obviously it started off with the george floyd thing but then i think it just devolved so quickly so quickly and then the rest of us are like wait a minute what does bashing in the windows of stores across America have to do with racial injustice? I don't really get that. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and I focus a lot on that because I'm a small business owner, and if my business got rocked like that, I'd be on this podcast screaming at my local officials. That's and that's kind of that's kind of what I've done is just bring these facts to light that, hey, there is stuff going on, bashing in the windows of um, down in Portland, they bashed in the windows of the Boys and Girls Club. Mm, nice move. Nice move, guys. Um, churches get bashed in, they get broken into. Um, you know, big corporate places get broken into. Museums of history are getting broken into. No more history. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. And that's literally, no more history, um, that's literally graffiti on, I think it was a museum, um, something along those lines. So more robust emphasis on crowd intervention tactics that focus on isolating and arresting law violators within an otherwise peaceable assembly. So we're just, we're identifying, we're kind of drilling down to what that looks like. These are things that they're addressing, Right. They're providing consistency and required warnings around the use of less lethal tools. You're going to be tear gassed. You're going to be tear gassed. I'm just making that up. But literally, they want the, the police to state, hey, what are you? What's next? What are you doing? I think the police should have a criteria and just be able to use it. I don't think there should be any warnings. Oh, I have to get out of here now? It's it's like the the kindergartner who doesn't want to take the nap. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, they've told me 30 times, but now that they say that I'm going to have to have a timeout or there's going to be some punishment, okay, now I'm going to leave. Nah, I think the cops should just be able to do what they need to do within the confines of the law and not have to talk about it over a PA system. But that's just me, that's just me, an adult, standing on the sidelines of some of these things going, huh, this is weird. This is literally what we're doing. All right, yeah, I'll hold my GoPro up or I'll hold my cell phone up and we'll record these shenanigans because that's exactly what they are most of the time. they are shenanigans that go nowhere except for breaking out windows, maybe some looting, Maybe some graffiti without a message that is clear. Like, what is the message here? What are we trying to consistently get out? I don't know because it's not clear. And I'm pretty good at reading. I can read no more history when it's graffitied on, uh, on a window. I can read that. But I, I don't know what the message is, nor do I know what, you know, what they've got going on, just don't know. So back to the providing consistency and required warnings around the use of less lethal tools. I don't think the cops should have to do that. I mean, I mean, consistency, okay, you got to tell them 15 times that you're going to do this. All right, but I see the toolkit that the police have now, the less lethal tools, I don't know. We're getting down to pretty Mickey Mouse level, right? All right, you can't use this. You can't use this. You can't use this. You can't use this. Oh, you, you can't use th- What are what are the cops going to use when they really need to subdue somebody? Maybe they won't be able to dis- subdue somebody cuz they take away this stuff. That guy gets away, goes and kills another person. I guess we just deal with it then, right? I guess that's what we do. That's what we're saying here is that all right, we're going to we're going to defund the police. We're going to take away our, you know, homelessness responsive team. We're going to take our gun away, our gun violence response team, like they did down in Portland. Uh, we're going to create a work environment where the cops don't really want to police up, be a police officer in Portland or Seattle or any of the cities like that. You know, Minneapolis, um, any of those cities, they're having a tough time recru- recruiting cops, and can you blame them? And so then we're going to take away a bunch of their toolkit, and then all right, you guys go out there and you work this out. Uh, however, you can because we know that the people that on the, that are on the street that are causing a lot of trouble uh, that that they the police deal with on a day to day basis. We know two things: drug addiction and mental health, uh, mental issues. They're crazy or some form of crazy. Maybe they're not medicated that day. Maybe they're normally medicated. Maybe they didn't take their medication. But when you don't have a full toolkit to deal with that kind of thing, that's the that's where I'm, you know, as a citizen, I'm kind of like, Oh, I don't know, is this such a good idea? And maybe some of the extreme stuff does need to go away. But um, I feel like we're taking away a lot of the police tools, I really do, that are required to keep society safe. And the only way we're going to figure that out is to go down this social experiment and just see what happens. See what happens. How long did it take Minneapolis to figure out, oh, defunding the police, not a good call. Oh, not good. It took them about six months, didn't it? Because they're doing about a $6 million campaign. They went from defund the police to spending $6 bucks trying to recruit cops, right? I mean, this isn't hard to figure out. You got less cops on the street or, or some of these groups are just still saying flat out abolish the police. All right. Okay. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm half-hearted, I, I'm, I'm half-tempted to say, all right, let's see what that looks like. Let's get rid of the cops. Let's see what that looks like for, um, you know, let's give it a solid six months. Let's see how that goes. What's that movie? Um, The Purge? Yeah, let's have a purge for six months. No police. Let's see how that goes. Nightmare, utter nightmare, utter nightmare, right? No law no johnny law ah oh, we'll just we'll just send out some social workers we'll just send out some social workers till we don't have any more to send out <laughs> and it's no joking matter but i if i'm a social worker i would be saying oh yeah that's not my job that's the guy with the gun over there in blue that's his job he can control this bad boy that's kind of just how this works The Seattle Police Department acknowledges the future of public safety is something we need to create together. All right. These revisions incorporate recommendations by members of the community and our accountability partners, including the Office of the Inspector General, the Office of Police Accountability and the Community Police Commission. Seattle Police Department understands many people may be inspired to collectively voice their ongoing concerns about the criminal justice system in our country. Protests. The Seattle Police Department supports the First Amendment rights of everyone and requests that when you gather, please do do so peacefully while respecting the rights of others. I'm totally okay with peaceful protesting. If you want to go out, do your sign, do two signs, two fisted, you know what I mean? Just double barrel those signs. And go out there and if you want to, if you want to peacefully voice your concerns, do your chance, no problem. When you start bashing windows, mm, I'm a no go. That's breaking the law. And that's where that's where the big difference has been. Everybody's been oh, but they're so peaceful. They're so peaceful. No, they're not. They're peaceful until they're not right. Seattle police spent most of the summer locked in confrontations with protesters and rioters who took the streets to demand justice for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and Daniel Prude, among others. The police department has been criticized for its tactics in dealing with large crowds in downtown Seattle. Um, And then there's another hyperlink here. Accountability group received over 19,000 complaints against against the Seattle police department from protests in 2020. You know how many of those complaints actually stuck? Like less than a handful, 19,000 complaints. And a handful stuck because only a handful were legit. Most all of them tossed out, just tossed out. Why? Because they weren't really complaints. They weren't legit complaints. And that's a lot of the stuff I, I saw last summer as well was people complaining about the police being overbearing. They're just doing their job. That's what they're doing. Let them do their job you want to do a First Amendment uh, march, you know, protest, whatever, peacefully, I'm okay with that. If it goes sideways, let the police drop the hammer. That's kind of where I'm at. But you can't do that in today's world. You can't do that near the all the tools are being given away. And um, you know, there's got to be a compromise. That's what we're working on. We're working on a social experiment here. And we'll just have to see how it works out. What I do know, is it? I'll cover this for you right here in the Seattle real estate podcast. Why wouldn't I these, these interesting topics, right? I mean, they 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 matter a ton, because, you know, this is what we're working on. This is what we're dealing with. All right, that's it for me on this one. I'm gonna go read some stuff about Portland because Portland always has the juicy deets, right? I mean, oh, just Portland. So much crazy stuff going on there. All right, that's what I'm doing next. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. I'll catch up with you guys on the next one. Until then, bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.